Welcome to the Time Shifters Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher. This podcast takes a fun look at the films of long past, recent past, and the almost present, as well as the events and news surrounding them. I would love to hear from you, and there are several ways to get in touch with the show. Look for the Time Shifters Podcast group on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Time Shifters Pod, or you can send us a typed or recorded message to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and please check us and our fellow podcasters out over on podchaser.com. Please rate and review the show at any of these outlets. All these links can be found on timeshifterspodcast.com. Now let's head to the Timeshifter studio and start the show. Everyone, and welcome back to the show. This is Christopher, and I am here just with Tom today. No no special guests. I'm special enough for you. You are. You are very special. Thank you, man. Thank you. Last episode was a lot of fun. Uh, definitely, again, if you go back, if you have not heard it already, go back and take a listen to the our, our discussion with Lucas Kendall. It was a really good time. Good guy. Good filmmaker. Hope he gets to do more. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. And hopefully for uh, Sky Fighter, the motion picture. <laughs> I would watch that. Uh, so how you been, Tom? It's um, it, Recording behind the scenes, you pull back the curtain a little bit. It's actually only been a week since we talked. Our, our recording schedules had to get tossed up a little bit. Um, yes, thank you for making room for my son to uh, <laughs> not have to be thrown in his room. <laughs> Family comes first before podcast every time. It's not a problem. It does indeed. So yeah, we haven't had as much going on. Um, not a lot of news or anything, entertainment news. I did s- start watching the second season of Batwoman. I think I might have mentioned this once before, but I don't think I... I know you mentioned you were going to watch it, and I myself also recorded the first episode so please by all means what do you think so far well i've only caught the first two episodes i'm actually an episode behind mm-hmm. uh it'll be gosh by the time everyone hears this uh, hopefully i'll be caught up with because <laughs> it'll be four or five episodes <laughs> yeah I, I i dialed up the cw app to watch what i thought was just the one episode that i was i was missing and it turns out i was two episodes behind mm-hmm. so uh, so I've only watched the first two. I'm actually really liking what I think they're doing this year. You know, Ruby Rose left mm-hmm. the show, and so they've found a new character, a new actress, uh, Javicia Leslie, J-A-V-I-C-I-A, is the new actress. She plays a, a, a brand-new character created for the show called Ryan Wilder to take over the Batwoman mantle. And so far, I'm really liking it. I, I like the fact that they've had to kind of shake up the whole dynamic of all the other characters because all the other characters were like tied to Kate Kane mm-hmm. in some way. 
And now there's not that tie. There's not all this inner angst and drama and, and, and relationship kind of stuff tied all up into the Kate Kane character. It's like, now I feel like all these characters can actually go and do something <laughs> instead of just talk about Kate. <laughs> yeah, I, I gave the first episode a watch just out of sheer curiosity, and I gave up on the uh, the first season about mid-season. Um, I, it was just not holding my interest. Um, and I, I'm, I'm glad that you, you, you like what you're seeing. Um, I watched it. Uh, I felt... I felt it fairly preachy uh, related to the new the new Batwoman. Uh, her motivations. They, it, and it has more to do with uh, just the dialogue that they threw in there. Uh, they, they had her literally like spell out everything possible as to why she feels vindicated to go ahead and keep this thing and, and try that because now she she she's got a vendetta it's almost like she's the the female robin that they always come up with for for the batman hmm. and robin stuff uh it, we're, we're picking up a stray that has a chip on their shoulder because it involves the death of a family member um and i love how they neatly tied it back to the uh the the main bad guy in uh in this uh and, and it's one of my frustrations with Batwoman uh, is with all the stuff that goes on in Gotham. She's only got the one bad guy, really. <laughs> well, and I think that's where I think they can explore that maybe a little bit more and expand that a little bit more because it was all tied together. Like I was saying, because yeah. the main bad guy is Alice, which is really Beth, which was Kate's sister. Right. And so you had to keep having that going on and you kept having to have that relationship and explore that relationship and keep having them butt heads and will she do it? Will she, you know, will she, won't she, you know, uh, get her, will they kill her uh, and all that. It, it's like, that's not there anymore. That's where I find a, a little bit of hope with this next season. And, and I hope. And so maybe they can expand and maybe they can get some other villains. And, and, and I hope you get that. Uh, uh, I don't know that I'll be along for that ride, which is saying a lot because, uh, I mean, I, I like DC properties typically. Not so much the movies and TV, but uh, I've always been a fan of the comics and some of the stories. Uh, it's just the CW in particular usually just kind of drives me crazy after a while because, I mean, I don't need the Dawson's Creek version uh, of DC. And then... Um, and then what last season could, didn't do for me, so Bruce Wayne's gone. She's there trying to pick up the mantle because she just happens to find out. All the other bad guys in Gotham just retired? Yeah. Ain't nothing, <laughs> nothing... And what's with this... I don't understand the crows, this whole... Uh, um, for-profit policing agency uh, it just weirds me out so all right not my cup of tea but i hope uh, it gets better for you i i hope so i hope this season you know 
uh, delivers the, on the promise that I think is there. And apparently it's going to get even more room to grow because just this month they have announced that they are going to renew it for season three. Wow. Okay. So the studio has enough uh, faith in what's going on to go ahead and, and, and put another season in, even though this year is only, what, three at this at time of recording, three episodes in. Right. So uh, I, I find that... You know, fingers crossed. I'm, I am hopeful. Well, and I'll, I'll, I'll be fair. This is essentially, um, this is, this is like a season one, part two, almost because they have to absolutely totally reset. So, yeah. a, and any decent series doesn't really find its legs till it gets into its second, third season. So, for Batwoman, that would mean third or fourth season would be when it should actually start coming into its own. Yeah, and that might be kind of like the uh, the selling point when the uh, showrunners went into the studio exec's office and like, well, look, we're, we're getting a do-over, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, no, so I, I, I wish them luck. I hope they smooth it out a bit. Uh, I, I saw, thought that first episode was a little forced. Mm. Well, I think they had to do a lot. You have to introduce this new character. You have to get her the bat suit. I mean, and you had to do it quickly, you know, to, to, to do it within the 40 minutes that they have. And boy, did they. It was like literally in the first five minutes of the thing. Oh, my God, a plane crash. What's this? A bat suit? <laughs> and, and, and to that point, uh, I it is easy for me to critique. Uh, I do yeah. not envy the writers in that writing room having, no. <laughs> having to, no. oh, we have to completely reinvent the show now? Okay. <laughs> I, I do appreciate that they have uh, conveniently not found a body to go with the supposedly deceased Kate Kane, which leaves room for Ruby Rose to at least make an appearance at some point in the future of the show. Yeah, and even if it doesn't ever come up, um, I like that they leave the door there. One, it leaves the door, because uh, all of this is all based off of at least uh, the comic books material, and she's alive and well in the comic book world. Yeah. So can't quite kill her off. So even right. if this telling doesn't ever get around to her coming back, at least alluding to the fact that she might not be dead jives with that. I I will at least wish them this kind of luck. I hope they actually turn it into something so good that much like the introduction of Harley Quinn to the animated series, this new character gets her own place in the universe at some point. I was just thinking that as we were discussing this, is if you, you go back to like some of uh, one of DC's most favorite character was created for the show and not based on a comic book, right. and that was Harley Quinn. Mm -hmm. So, I, yeah, I just that's probably a stretch to kind of have put that kind of hope on this, but I'll, I'll admit that. There is a little bit of that in you know in the back of my head, right? And, and, and uh, yeah, I know I, I can see it in the back of your eyes. That, that <laughs> that's what you're hoping. This is a that this this new take on it will give them opportunity, and if they can pull it off, that could lead to a new character altogether. It is it is just because this is a show that I want to like. Yeah, 
and I'm probably going to give it a little bit more grace than it might deserve otherwise, just because it, just the premise and the idea, the, you know, the female Batman, you know, the, excuse the term, you know, the, the Batwoman, I just, I don't know. I want to like it. No, I, 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 I feel you wanting to like it because you don't usually have a hard time laying into things that <laughs> <laughs> if you don't feel they don't warrant it but yeah i i sense you really want to enjoy this and so enjoy it um yeah no i will and, and if nothing else i still enjoy some of the the actors that they have involved in the show yeah um so but yeah i hopefully i mean even the first i'll admit the first season i kind of had to go back through the app and catch up because I, I wasn't watching it regularly. I wasn't watching it. Oh, the new Batwoman's on. I should go dial that up. I was knocking two or three episodes out maybe every three weeks or something like that if if you if it was lucky. So, yeah, I wasn't wholly on board with the first season. But, yeah, I, I've... I have hope for this new one. Can, can, can you one. clear one thing up for me? Or did I actually latch onto this and it's just going to bug me anyway? Why are they behaving like there's only one bat suit ever? Yeah, yeah that's like, a little like odd. The Batwoman suit is supposed to be the retailered Batman suit. Why? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it, and it's one size fits all, apparently. Oh, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> And who knew Bruce's cup size was so impressive? <laughs> right. Yeah, that's something. No, I I don't quite understand the whole bat suit thing. They sort of do a just shorthand, I think, on that. Yeah, but you know, devil's always in the details. <laughs> that was uh, me being a fan of uh, of Batman and his crew. Uh, that that one that one stings a little. <laughs> that that and the car <laughs> you don't like the new Batmobile? I, I mean they finally introduced the Batmobile the Corvette <laughs> <laughs> it looks sharp it's a neat it's all black it's alright it, uh, yeah, no, flames I, come out the back come on yeah I, 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 I think the effects the department could have done a little better <laughs> I'm surprised there's not a brought to you by GM <laughs> <laughs> so that's all I've been really been doing this la this past week since we've talked last. Have you been uh, watching anything? I know you mentioned that you started The Expanse, and I'm really annoyed that I have not yet gotten to it. Yeah, no, I, and by no means am I going to spoil anything at all. Um, uh, I, I'm enjoying this season rather quite a bit. Um, the only thing that I've already pointed out previously is... Uh, uh, each of our main characters are kind of getting to have their own story at the moment uh, as they've broken away from the ship and have gone off on individual adventures at the moment. Um, and then as I texted you as I was watching one, I was pleasantly surprised to find Thomas Jane still affiliated with the show, as, in this case as the director of uh, one of the episodes I watched recently. Yeah, that's very cool. Interestingly enough, uh, and I don't know if it's Thomas Jane thing, if it was a moment in time, but the the language and nudity ramped up quite a bit. 
Oh, really? Interesting. <laughs> yeah, so you have that to look forward to. <laughs> okay. Because I was going to say, I don't think there was any nudity before. No, there wasn't, which is why I was surprised. And I guess it's on Prime now. It's on a streaming service. It's not on any network, yeah, so uh, gloves are off. Yeah, they're full TVMA, <laughs> so they they can do whatever they like. <laughs> wow. All right. We'll, uh, we'll move that higher up on the priority list. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to... Uh, I, I actually dabbled in... Um, BBC has another series uh, out called uh, The Watch. Oh, I saw ads um, for that, but I haven't I haven't actually looked into what it is. Yeah, and, and apparently there is book source material for this. Uh, I'm not familiar with any of it, so um, anyone feel free to tell me anything about any of it because uh, watching it was a completely foreign experience, and after watching the first episode, it's still a completely foreign experience. <laughs> Um, I'm not entirely sure what I watched. <laughs> All right. Uh, it is definitely set in a dystopian style world where uh, the watch, which is the law, um, is essentially ineffectual. And they have tailored this, uh, at least this city in which they exist, to uh, at least based off the first episode. To essentially deal with its criminal elements by having them all form guilds and become professional versions of whatever it is that they're doing wrong. So if you're into dealing drugs, you're part of the Alchemist Guild. Uh, <laughs> if you're into killing people, you're a part of the Assassin's Guild. If you're into stealing, you're part of uh, you're into the uh, uh, Thieves Guild. Uh, so... As long as you can produce a receipt for the work that you did, it's not illegal. Interesting. Um, so, so by that stretch, it's kind of entertaining. Yeah, um, might have to try to catch up on it. Like I said, I, I've seen some ads that seemed intriguing. Uh, I think they've, they've they've just come up while we've been watching like Graham Norton or something like that, and I'm like, yeah, I have to look into that. It's a fun watch, and it's definitely different. Uh, there's not a whole lot of things like that. Um, but, I mean, some of what you probably liked out of, oh, God, what is that? What is that one where they were bounty hunters that you liked? Killjoys. It's got to feel a little like that. It's a little more psychedelic than Killjoys, but uh, uh, that kind of grittier feel, look and feel. The world's not pretty. All right, cool. Yeah, then I will... Uh... Yeah, then I'll definitely yeah try to uh, catch up on that. Find it. Uh, I'm sure there's got BBC's America's got to have a streaming service, <laughs> so I'll I'll look and see what I can find. Well, then I guess we'll take a break. Uh, we'll go ahead and listen to a promo for another podcast. And when we get back, we're gonna look at this. Will be the first in our Mystery Science Theater 3000 Unrift series of films. We're gonna look at what's known here in the States as 1958's The Crawling Eye. Prepare for a 
spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster, Monster Kid, Kid Radio. Radio. Here your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster, Monster Kid, Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster, Monster Kid Radio! alarm fills the night with terror for high on a mountainside a mysterious fear such as no human being has ever seen before where there are mountains there are always clouds but this one remains static on the side of the trollenberg it never moves freak of nature a radioactive freak of nature it strikes without warning wreaking death and destruction too horrible to behold a force of evil that tortures its victims and hurls them mercilessly to the brink of murder and madness. What is it, and what does it crave, this creeping horror that hungers and thrives on human flesh while it inhabits its own silent world that no man can penetrate? No one is safe from its spell of destruction. A cold, hypnotic stare striking fear into the hearts of all, creating a frenzied nightmare for those who behold it. The cloud is splitting up. Splitting up. There are four of them now, and all moving this way. All right, the Trollenberg Terror, a.k.a. The Crawling Eye here in the U.S., is a 1958 horror film starring uh, what's Forrest Tucker. Uh, Forrest Tucker is probably most well-known from F Troop, which he does about a decade after this. I think that premiered in 69, if I'm not mistaken. Remember reading right? So at this time, he was still doing uh, motion pictures, bouncing around between starring and supporting roles. I was reading up on his career, and he he did have some starring films where he was the lead, but for the most part, he was you know supporting roles here and there, playing against some of the big stars. He played in films where he was like second billing to like Gary Cooper and things like that. So he had an interesting career for someone that ends up on a goofy sitcom <laughs> on television oh like, by the way that was 65 to 67 oh 65 my mistake so not quite 10 years this was interesting i did not know about this the story the trollenberg terror was based on a 1956 british itv uh saturday serial television program which sadly yeah. does not exist. No episodes. I think it was a six-part series, and no episodes are known to exist. Very unfortunate, because now that I know that, desperately would love to see it. Yeah, I would love to have... I, I'd like to see how they broke that down into a series. Mm-hmm. 
And I'd be curious, uh, uh, I, I haven't researched the app, the episodes themselves, but be curious how long they are. Yeah, I wouldn't expect them to be more than an hour. Maybe less. Yeah, and if they're serials, I'd be actually curious if they're more da- like 15, 20 minutes. No, I doubt it. I mean, if it was actually on TV, I'm... I'm going to guess they were at least an hour, filling an hour block, either 30 minutes or an hour. But again, what does it matter? They don't exist. Damn it. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Right. We can say anything about them. I I would love to see how they pulled it off and how they did. They envisioned the creatures, you know, whether they are similar to what we see here in the film or if they had a different look to them and yeah, how they did it. I think this is a story that you could easily, it, it, it builds on a universe that you could easily fill more time with if you gave it the time. And I, I, I want to get into this. Uh, may, maybe we should do a quick synopsis of yep. what this is. Yep, okay. Yeah, because I want to get into that point. All right. United Nations troubleshooter Alan Brooks, this is our Forrest Tucker uh, character here, while on holiday is called to the Swiss mountain climbing village of Trollenberg by a friend, Professor Krevit who has been studying cosmic radiation in a local mountainside observatory. Brooks learns of a series of mysterious climbing accidents, and the mystery deepens when the professor suggests that the accidents may be connected to the appearance of a mysterious radioactive cloud that hovers off one side of the mountain. The cloud and the disappearances are very reminiscent of an occurrence in the Andes Mountains that the two men were involved with years ago. While Brooks is hesitant to contact any authorities, after an embarrassing result from the last time it happened, he can't help but get pulled into solving the mystery, especially when he realizes the young clairvoyant Anne Pilgrim, who he met on the train and who insisted that she and her sister Jennifer stop at Trollenberg, has some sort of mental connection to whoever or whatever is hiding in the cloud. That's my synopsis. How's that for Trollenberg terror? No, that, that that is a clear, concise synopsis, and and, uh, and now I can get into the idea of why seeing the serialized version of this would be really kind of cool. Is forgiving many of the things that happen in a movie from this era and all that. It does actually set up an interesting notion of of an alien race potentially looking to settle on Earth in the areas in which it could still manage to inhabit Mm -hmm. and then slowly trying to um, broaden its... Yeah, acclimate and extend its scope of where it can go. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. And that's one of those sort of what I consider sort of... uh, a forward-thinking idea for 1958. I mean, typically, Quite. if you have alien invaders, they just, they sh- in, ni- in the 1950s, they come in their spaceships and they land and they walk around and they either take over your bodies or they destroy you or, you know, they're horrible creatures. But ne- almost never do you have them, well, from wherever they're from, maybe they don't have as much oxygen, which is why they like it up on the mountain and, yeah, well, oh, the, well, we're we're fine, we're safe. Oh, but everyone can, anyone can get used to, you know, different 
things have given enough time. Like, oh, <laughs> wow, science. <laughs> now, uh, that said, I love that that's kind of what it was trying to develop with that. But you have to thoroughly enjoy the wild theorization that occurs, that comes up with that, with with that explanation, without any shred of any kind of evidence <laughs> as to how they come up with that. Like they hadn't right, even Drew. seen them at this point. <laughs> like, they don't even know there's an actual alien yet. But that that is the the that is the theory that they have come up with, which is amazing and awesome and no reason for them to draw that conclusion whatsoever. well i'd also like to know how they do it with the serial because there is no alan brooks character i believe it's right it's probably the journalist that kind of uh leads the serialized uh version in this film it was uh what was his name uh philip truscott played by lawrence payne I have yeah. a feeling maybe that was the main character in the serialized version. And actually, according to IMDb, he's the same guy in the serial. Oh, is it? Yes, the same actor, same, same, actor, same uh, character. Interesting. All right. So that's probably was the case. So I'm curious why they... Maybe they just needed for international audience. They wanted to throw in an American. And so they yeah. got Forrest Tucker. And a different title. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, and that's something... Um, Those stupid Facebook. Americans wouldn't know what Trollenberg is. Right, yeah. And it, it's actually mentioned on uh, Facebook that Steve Sullivan points out that he actually likes Trollenberg Terror as a title better, but he does understand while, you know, Crawling Eye does, like, as he put it, you know, gets people to the theaters. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, if you you, you want to go see a, a monster movie, you need The Crawling Eye. Um, but while we're on that particular topic, I actually kind of enjoyed this more as, as the suspense thriller that it was at the beginning. The, the slow buildup and the, uh, and the, whole notion we 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 don't know what's what's killing these people we don't know what's drawing people to the mountain um the fact that it ends up becoming a rubber monster movie uh at the end actually kind of detracts from the actual really creepy setting that they were kind of setting up i mean right out of the gate you get a headless man falling off of a mountain <laughs> you actually get several throughout this film some fairly graphic uh, moments. Uh, you got the headless man, which you mm -hmm. barely see, but later on you see them pull a body out from under a bed who's also been decapitated, and that actually lingers for a few seconds more than you expect than you would expect it to. And you're like, mm. wow, they showed that. <laughs> right down to uh, like uh, a, a little while later when we run into the character that has departed the hut that escaped the decapitation, he's got the man's head in his bag. That's awesome. <laughs> and again, rather graphically, we see him melt, and we see, again, a lingering shot of his sort of melted arm in the uh, gaslight. <laughs> 58, mm -hmm. huh? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? 
when we chose to do Mystery Science Theater Unrift, I admit that going into this, and I think as we go ahead, there will be groaners. There will be those those movies that you just go, God, yeah, oh, yeah. this is terrible. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised. You take out the, the distraction uh, of Mystery Science Theater. This is a solid movie. It is there, a very, it's an underrated 1950s monster movie. I, I mean, it has its problems. It's wildly sexist. Yeah. Uh, but as is everything from that era, I mean, it wasn't as bad as some, but it clearly, you woman, you go away, and we we man take care of problem. Right. Uh, uh, and I, I'm going to pick on one of the... Uh, another thing. So while our professor uh, who... Uh, wildly comes up with the the theory as to what the why these aliens are where they are and, and that essentially they're colonizing by um, acclimating to the to the atmosphere of earth um, at no point does he wildly speculate why they feel the need to decapitate yeah that doesn't really come up that's pretty much just there for the just because it's graphic and ah you know it's gonna make people scream. I understand, but of all the things, especially when it is revealed that these things are basically giant brains with a huge eye and tentacles, uh, you, you, you would go, so why do they want the heads? <laughs> That's a, they, they taste the best. Well, maybe it's because of the brain, because they, there's some, they, 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 it, it is sort of led you to believe that they can absorb the knowledge of the person you, you're hanging with the professor now <laughs> <laughs> you might as well wildly speculate just like he did i did read that when it was imported to the states given the name the crawling eye they also chopped like 10 or 20 minutes of the film out of it as well because they thought it should go it should get to the monster faster and and, and and I, I, I could maybe see that a little bit, uh, which is also uh, prevalent in films of this era. Uh, it's a slow burn. Mm-hmm. So and, and some of it may be needlessly so. Yeah, and you can definitely see the areas where they, they, they cut it out. Just a lot of the exposition, a lot of the discussion between characters when they're sitting around the bar and, and talking about what's going on. You know, a lot of that has been excised, and that's what you get in the MST version. They get, they right. they watch the very Americanized version, and they may have even cut out a little bit of the, on their own to fit it into their time slot. Right. Yeah. Although, be interesting how they uh, actually did that, considering this movie, uh, watching it as the Trollenberg Terror. Uh, at its full length was only an hour twenty three minutes. Yes. So I mean, I can't even imagine taking it down to an hour ten. <laughs> right. And, and then what mystery science theater could have possibly cut up too much? Well, well maybe they didn't. They only have- then maybe they didn't cut anything out. And what you see on MST is the entire U.S. version of the Crawling Eye. I could probably see that as by by the time you throw in their bumpers and uh, 
skits and all of that and commercial breaks, yeah, you could get to two hours pretty mm-hmm. easy. Uh, I should mention that this, as we were uh, talking before, was on Mystery Science Theater. It was their premiere when they made the the official jump to actual, you know, away from... Uh, Public access <laughs> and actually became... It's important to note, uh, this was on the fledgling The Comedy Channel. Correct. Uh, back in, uh, and it premiered in November of 1989. It was the first episode. Uh, and then, of course, the Crawling Eye does get sort of uh, name-checked and seen briefly in the final episode, 10 years later, uh, Diabolic, Mike and the bots sit down to watch a movie. <laughs> and, of course, on the TV is The Crawling Eye. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, and uh, I mean, for the entire first season, uh, the crawling eye, uh, the the main monster, was part of the opening uh, credits sequence. This place has a spot in their hearts. Well, I was, I'm glad to hear that you say that you actually enjoyed this. You know, unrift um, because I think there are some films done by Mystery Science Theater that taken out of that environment and shown in their entirety i think are kind of worthy of a watch and sometimes i think they've were they 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 get unfairly maligned just because they're on mystery science theater right and and i would put this one in that category right and i doubt anybody prior to them showing in a mystery science theater i imagine this film was almost forgotten Oh, I yeah, I could see that. I mean, uh, even as monster movies go, because of the way that it, it it's done, uh, the the fact that it really is kind of more of a suspense thriller up until you get to the monster. I mean, the the monsters only appear in the movie for what, like the last fifteen minutes. I was gonna or say so? maybe twenty is when you you start seeing them and briefly, and then the the big battle, if you want to call it that, is really like yeah, the last. 10 minutes of the film. I, since you brought up the battle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and again, effects of the era and all that, but the, the, the wild speculation part of this, because our, our hero, Alan, he, uh, he, at one point, as they, they all decide they need to go to the observatory to hide from, uh, from the encroaching aliens... Um, he has to go back down the mountain to uh, to save the little girl that got left behind who went after her ball. And in in saving the girl, uh, a one of the beast's tentacles comes into the building and and he clearly hacks it off with like one of the pickaxes from the climbers mm-hmm. that's in there. And then immediately goes back to the observatory with the little girl and talks with the professor and immediately begins stating he has no idea how we'll kill these things. He just chopped off part of it with (laughs) a pickaxe. And he's concerned that they're going to need almost like nuclear-style weapons to wipe these out. That was one tentacle, and he got lucky. Come on. It could sure. be dozens of these that things. A magical pickaxe. <laughs> no, I, I just 
because it is what it is, and, and, and there there's all this non-scientific, scientific, uh, wild speculation, the fact that he felt the need to think it was going to be some dramatic effort required to kill these things after he just chopped a tentacle off with a pickaxe. <laughs> I found that amusing. <laughs> I like that this movie gives us the sense that you know, things have been happening prior to us coming into this film. Yeah. You know, it, it talks about these these two that had a similar occurrence in an Andes mountain location and this mystery and, you know, a woman that they thought was a witch because she, she was somewhat psychic and someone tried to come kill her and they discovered that he was actually been dead for two days or something like that. And I'm like, ow, that's a lot of neat, you know. <laughs> I just love the fact that we're coming in kind of in an adventure that began years ago. Well, I think think about it. We've talked about it in so many other things, but this is 1958 and they they're doing world building mm-hmm. in a B movie. Right. That's awesome. Yeah, this could actually you could you could have turned this into, you know, Alan Brooks, you know, uh globe traveling adventure television series. This is like again, another like proto X-Files or something like that. Well, and there's no, uh, there's nothing saying uh, that this wasn't, uh, this isn't the same group of aliens. I mean, it was a mountain range. The The description's almost the same. I mean, you could turn this almost into a uh, War of the Worlds series style kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Where where this is the alien race that is encroaching upon Earth and when was the television series The Invaders on TV? That wasn't until the sixties, was it? Yeah, The Invaders didn't come around until nineteen sixty seven. When that was the premise of that was you know this alien invasion and only a couple people knew the truth and had to travel the world, uh, try to uh, stop their invasion and and get the. Uh, you know, re- reveal them to the world and all that stuff. So it's like, this is kind of where I feel like this was, you know, 10 years right. prior. Right. No, uh, uh, I, that, that was what I was uh, enjoying so much about this is, uh, again, because uh, the only time I've ever seen it is through Mystery Science Theater. And yes, that has a tendency to, to taint things a bit. Um, I was... Uh, marveling at the level of sophistication that was here. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't as ch- achieved as well as it could have been, but there's way more there than than not. Well, there was obviously limitations of the time. I don't know that you could have pulled off the creature effects any better than they did. No. No, and that's not the part that's limiting. Uh, like I said, uh, I, I, now that we know that there's a serial and that we can't watch it, that's a shame. Because I'd love to see if they pulled out more in, in that serial. Because, I mean, anytime you take a TV series or uh, a book series or something, then you have to boil it down into a movie length. Um, it, you have a tendency to shortcut and hack it up mm-hmm. a bit. So I would love to see it in its long form to see what was there that we didn't get in the movie because they have to do the short form. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm not taking away off the effects. I mean, actually, for for the effects of the day, the, the creature was actually pretty interesting mm-hmm. looking. And 
Uh, they did a fairly decent job when they were trying to do the uh, the effect of a large creature as it had to interact with the smaller humans. Some of it was terrible. Yeah. Um, but they they tried things that I don't think had really been tried before. Yeah, you know, like the uh, when they're doing all the miniatures and they have them, you know, the tentacles wrapping around somebody on camera and then lifting up, and it's obviously a doll. Or whatever, right. but 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 they made the transition. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, the doll looked stupid. It didn't look like a a guy anymore. But it mean it was a reasonable facsimile of him, and they made a reasonable transition from the human that was actually had the the rubber tentacle around his neck to the creature lifting. Mm-hmm. It, um, the effect, while the effect is yes, dicey. The, that transition, the what they were going for was well conveyed, I thought, yeah. given the limitations. Of yeah, the no, absolutely. I have to say, in this film, and if we're imagining that this was going to be a television series, I'm not sure Forrest Tucker is the man that you want. I think Forrest Tucker, I, I like Forrest Tucker fine. I think he's kind of the weakest part of this film. Really? I really do. I don't think, I I just don't think he carries what needs to be done. He's sort of um, kind of monotone and one note through the whole thing. There's a couple times where he sees something graphic and he oh he'll hide his eyes and you know oh that's so terrible. Yeah. But then something else will happen, which you would think would be just as graphic and just as disturb. Oh, when he first sees the creature, you were talking when yeah. he goes to rescue the girl. And the doors bust open, yeah. and the the giant eye is staring at him, and he almost gives no emotion whatsoever, no reaction, no reaction on his face whatsoever. So you show a guy that you, his arm melts off. Oh, oh, you know he can't watch. He can't look at that giant pulsating eyeball staring at him through the door. Hmm. Yeah, I should go get this girl. Oh, I better chop off this uh, tentacle here because it's got her. There's there's no urgency in it. So it's like he didn't know. Obviously, there was nothing there for him to see except the, just right. the tentacles on the floor. And it was just a, a screen, whether they added that in post or if they actually had like a rear projection going during filming. I don't know. I have a feeling that it was just nothing. It was probably just black right. velvet or something. And so he, since he didn't have anything to see, maybe he just doesn't have the imagination <laughs> to like... <laughs> react well and this is where you get into the uh so so who uh, and and we'll never know but is that on forrest tucker the actor or is that on the direction he's given it's possible yeah that's a very good point quentin lawrence our director of this film um if he didn't communicate uh, out what it was that he was supposed to be feeling and reacting to since he doesn't have anything to react to. Uh, I mean, this is this is all early stuff for for the movies to be at, reacting to something that's not there. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I, I, I would actually kind of wonder if this is more of a failing on direction than on acting. Yeah, that's true. And I don't know. Yeah, because I, I know film ain't cheap. And you're limited to amount right. the cuts and that you know the takes that you can make. But if that's all he gave you for that, why wouldn't you just you know what? 
we're gonna spend a few extra bucks and we're gonna do this again. <laughs> right. Give, and, give me, and, and like, give me a look well, like you just got out of bed and you stepped into something your dog did overnight. You know, <laughs> something. <laughs> but again, we'll never know if uh, those notes were ever made or if they were limited on time and money and, and all of that. Uh, but it's fun to speculate. But uh, I, the the true answer is probably both. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> It's probably some poor direction followed by a, a little lackluster performance. You know, we're talking about the effects, though. The special effects were done by uh, Les Bowie or Bowie. Uh, if he's British, I think they actually pronounce it Bowie. Uh, he created his own company in 51, and he worked freelance on projects for some relatively low-budget studios, such, uh, but did work on some Hammer films and Oakmont productions. Uh, for Hammer, he did the Quatermass Experiment in 55 and their Dracula in 1958 with Christopher Lee. I mean, the Dracula. Nice. And then he also worked with uh, Ray Harryhausen on Jason and the Argonauts, which is a brilliant special effects film. Absolutely. Again, uh, First Men in the Moon, One Million Years B.C., and Sinbad and Eye of the Tiger. And he was actually on the team that uh, would win an Oscar in 1978 for Superman. He specialized in, I think, uh, matte and um, miniatures or something like that, but he was still on the special effects team. Well, sure, but I mean, that that was a big thrust for this was the miniature work. Yeah, and the matte. I mean, because all the, the, the mountains and everything. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Literally everything was a matte painting that wasn't inside a physical structure. Yes. But uh, so definitely somebody that, you know, showed a lot of promise earlier in his career and went on to do great things after this as well. Not a bad effort. Uh, I mean, given the time that this took place in, uh, the fact that it was off of like. I don't know if we've re looked it up or not. Was he involved in the original serial at all? Oh, I didn't look. I don't know. There's not much in the way of credits for that. No, unfortunately not. Quentin Lawrence was the director for the series. I see writing credits. I see the actors, but I don't see anything about... Uh, effects. Effects or anything. So uh, I'd be curious as hell uh, if he had any part in that. But, I would uh, guess I mean, not. If he was working in film, it's doubtful that he would be working for ITV as well. I imagine they did you know, their in-house effects team. They wouldn't have hired outside. You, you have to put yourself in the 1950s, but uh, the effects were not terrible. No, they were good. Given... Uh, Given uh, the the what was probably not a, a high budget film to begin with. No, no, I'm sure the budget was relatively small, and I'm sure most of that budget went into the effects. Um, I think the rest of the cast I thought were really well. Like I said, I thought Forrest Tucker may be the weakest link, but you're right; it could have been on a lot of my issues with him could have been on the uh, on the director, but the rest of the cast. Mm -hmm maybe with the exception of uh, Warren Mitchell as the professor who maybe chews the scenery a little much. And especially with his, um, Oh, German question mark accent. 
maybe a little over the top. Maybe just a little. (laughs) (laughs) He was definitely acting to the back row. Uh, as much as uh, this is where the the sexism comes in a little bit, the the how downplayed the uh, the women's role is, and they're always uh, the uh, the damsel in distress in this case. But uh, I actually really enjoyed uh, their link to this, especially early on on the train scene. Mm. That uh, th- this is where you get that kind of um, that almost Hitchcock like moment where. She is just absolutely drawn. I have to get off this train at this stop. Uh, I'm being drawn to this. And, and at that point, it's not even clear as to what they do or why she would be drawn to this. So I love that. That I, I, I love it when they don't. When any movie doesn't just immediately smack you in the face with. Uh, Here's everything you have to know right this yeah. second. So I like that it got, we had to draw it out, that we were given this moment. We don't know why this girl would collapse, why why she would feel compelled to get off this train in this moment. And you let that evolve and you find out, oh, they have they have this act that they do. And, and, and even then, they don't even just throw it in your face that they mention it's an act. You don't know that quite yet that for her it is real. Mm-hmm. That this is a thing that she has that she can do. I love the way they rolled that yeah, out. Yeah, no, that they actually really nice. let the mystery build very organically, rather than just yeah. like you said, just here, here it is on a silver platter for you. Yeah, right. yeah, they didn't show up with Anne Pilgrim, psychic name badge, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, their lu- yeah their luggage didn't have the logo right. for the show. <laughs> Like you know, so many other things have oh, done yeah. in the years. There was, I think, there is a flaw in the script. However, uh, with her sister, there's a moment when they're trying to explain to her sister that they think she's connected somehow, and her sister's like, "Well, I don't see how." Like, you literally run the two of you do a freaking clairvoyant, you know, psychic mind reading act, and you are incredulous that she might somehow be connected to these things. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'll give you that one, especially since uh, in one of the better parts of the film where they actually perform their act mm-hmm. for everyone. Oh, yes. And, and she she actually reveals to the professor that, uh, um, that at one point she would give cues to... To what's going on it, it, it was more of a fake right. un, until she got her legs under her and uh she was actually reading her sister's mom right and that was actually that whole scene was really good they just start out with just doing their their act oh you know can you guess what this is oh it's a snow globe huh or it's a it's a bill and it has a serial number and you know the typical act and then right. and her eyes glass over and she starts kind of dictating the events of what's happening on the uh, the hut up on the mountain with the two climbers who had gone up earlier. Like, that's a chilling moment because you see some of it and others you see it with her narrating it. And then you just see everyone, like you see Alan suddenly realize what's going on and make a dash for the phone to try to warn him. Like, that's a really 
well done scene. You put it out there. Uh, how many other films have done a version of something like that since? But so you have to give a little nod. Like, I don't know if it ever happened in a film before this, but you figure it did happen probably sometime during the series. So in 1956, they're already pulling out this very kind of slow draw, dramatic build to to this that will then be replicated by so many other properties down the road. Mm-hmm. So you got to figure this is like one of the first times this has ever been done. Yeah, you, you got and it was cool. you got to think, even though this film probably got relatively lost to time until Mystery Science mm-hmm. Theater there was some kids that went into the, you know, spent the dime and sat in the, the, the matinee in their small town and saw this at some point in some double bill that stuck in mm. their head. And then they grew up to be filmmakers or writers mm. or directors. <laughs> yeah. Cause I mean, a lot of this, uh, the, 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 the science fiction elements, the, 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 uh, the, uh, suspense drama aspects of this all of it's been done since but you have to figure this is probably one of the first go rounds for stuff like exactly this. and the idea of like the invaders doing the the slow invasion or the colonization of earth and and trying to be methodical and everything it seems like a very how to put it advanced idea I mean, that's the kind of thing to where you, you could see someone doing a show now and it would seem like, ooh, new and edgy. And, you know, you sit in there, yeah, yeah, that was done 70 years ago. <laughs> and, and, and it has been done since, but, uh, yeah, no, I that was what was kind of taking my breath away as I'm watching this is uh, you take... You have to take the camp with the uh, with it all because uh, I mean it, it is a 1950s B horror. Yeah, I don't think this is a movie that would convert anybody that isn't already a, a 1950s monster movie fan or science fiction right. fan. You're not. This is not the movie to sit somebody down and then and have them go, "Oh, I had no idea it was like this." Because no, this is exactly what they're gonna think it, 1950s monster movies look like. I mean, it is the quint like a quintessential '50s monster flick. Yes, uh, not taking away from it at all because as a '1950s monster flick, it's still actually pretty. It's a pretty good (laughs) monster flick. If you went for the monster, the monsters was pretty cool. Uh, But but yeah, there I was just so pleasantly surprised at how much more there was to this film that than I would have probably given it credit for exactly no i i'm i had the same reaction the first time i saw it unrift i don't know what made me go and search you know seek it out i think it probably mm-hmm. just it was something that popped up on youtube when i was looking for something else i was watching something and this was on the you might also like or coming up next i'm like oh yeah crowley and i yeah. never seen that you know i other than on MST, so I'll watch it and, oh, well, this is interesting. <laughs> no, it really was, and, and actually, one of the things, uh, this is where I'll bring Mystery Science Theater back into this, um, it it actually kind of has something going for it, the fact that this was 
the first one and the first season. Because uh, while I haven't really gotten into watching any of their public access stuff, as we just got done talking about earlier around the Batwoman stuff, things don't settle in and get good until their second, third season when they actually get their legs up. Mm-hmm. And the first season of Mystery Science Theater, admittedly as large a fan as I am of the entire property, um, the first season is one that I usually avoid. It's a little rough. It, 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 it is a little rough. Um, they, they didn't get their rhythm down on who they wanted each of the characters to be as far as the mystery science theater crowd part. Right. And the other thing they didn't get down quite yet is how to riff to the movie. And this was one of the movies, uh, especially being the first episode, where they watched more of it than they riffed on mm. Um, so in this case, when they did riff on it, they were probably riffing on it when you needed to pay attention to the movie and not riffing on it when nothing was going on, which is when you should be riffing on the movie. So they didn't have the formula down quite yet. You would, um, having seen some of the KTMA days episodes, yeah, uh, very similar to that, where they'll watch the film, and I swear they maybe only say four things from commercial to commercial you know, during the right. film, or between break to break, you know, bumper to bumper, whatever you, you want to call it. And they're like, wow, so I'm actually really watching this movie. <laughs> you know, I, I came for MST, but I'm really just watching this bad movie. <laughs> right, and it, it's clear they had a good idea, but they didn't know quite how to do it right. yet. And, and I'll take this moment to even talk about as much as they got it wrong on how much to riff at the time and when to riff. Mm-hmm. Um, you could fast forward to the current iterations uh, of uh, Mystery Science Theater, the stuff that went on to Netflix, where they simply don't shut up. Yeah. That was my and, issue and with it. It's too much. Yeah. Like, you might even have some decent jokes in here, but I don't know how they land with what you're watching because all I hear is you. Now, I know in the heyday, you know, the kind of like the silver age of, uh, or the golden age of Mystery Science Theater, they would watch the film several times. They'd all gather around, all the writers would sit, and they'd everybody would write their jokes. And then they kind of go through and decide, okay, which joke is staying, which joke is going, which is funnier, which, you know, that sort of thing. And which character is going to deliver exactly. it. Exactly, and who's going to say it. And so when it came to actual filming, yeah, you just got what they considered to be the best of everything they came up with. Right. In this early first season, the KTMA, and this early season, you really get the feeling that they are, like, riffing real time. Like, right. no one knew what they were going to say until they sat down to film to this movie. We're taking this in one take. Go. Right. <laughs> and I, I, I come to that, I don't know if that's the case or not, but I come to that only by watching people try to do amateur riffs of films. Right. And it, that's exactly what they're doing. And it's like, yeah, that's not funny. You know, you need, to, you need to be quiet. And that's kind of the impression you get watching this one on MST. But you're right. By the time they get into the second season going on, they've definitely honed it a little bit better. Like, okay, we need to come up with a plan. 
And I like that they did that. And then, of course, like I said, you come out with just what they feel is best. Right. By the time you fast forward, like you were saying, to the Netflix, it's like, okay, we're all going to sit down. We're all going to write our jokes. And now we're going to say every single damn one of them. We're just going to keep throwing things at the wall and hopefully something sticks. It's like, dude, I don't know if any of this is supposed to be funny because I haven't had time to process it. Right. No, uh, yeah, no, uh, it's just diarrhea of the mouth and you can't take it. And uh, it's already hard enough because they're reintroducing it with a different voice cast for the robots is disturbing unto itself because... The thing I like to go over about with the uh, the first season of Mystery Science Theater is uh, Josh Weinstein, bless his heart, did um, his absolute best that he could being Tom Servo and failed. Because mm. <laughs> he's just, uh, he was a little dry. Yeah. Um, uh, and his delivery was very dry. If you're going to be a voice presence, you have to you have to bring it to life and have some personality. So it always missed the mark for me, and it wasn't until Kevin Murphy joined the crew, um, and he is the consummate Tom Servo. Right. So, and and he is absolutely expert at riffing. I mean, I I know they've gone through their pro- process, but he knew how to do it, and when they got the uh, when they got the crew for the longest time and still managed to recreate that when Joel passed out, uh, passed on to, to Mike, it, it was just perfect. That was the time, and they've never been able to fully reproduce it ever since. Now, actually, I also discovered, or I thought the Netflix folks, the voices I feel were all a little too similar. Mm-hmm. And so you just had three people that all sounded almost alike throwing out these lines. And you're like, is that coming from him? Is that him? Is that, you know, they didn't have the characters. You kind of knew what kind of joke would come out of Tom Servo or Crow or Mike or Joel. Right. No. Th- I, and I think they missed that because, yeah. Uh, yeah, because you had and they were that was part of what made it work. Uh, Joel and Mike all had that mid tone range uh, in their voice, um, fairly mellow. Crow was the higher pitch, always very excited, very quick. And Tom Servo, deep, melodic. (laughs) He was the guy you went to for the song. Yeah. um, Because Kevin could sing. (laughs) Uh, So you need that. It's like... It's like the levels on an equalizer. You needed them to, to balance each other out, especially when they're just shadows in the front. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that voice break, you have no idea what's going right. on. <laughs> but we kind of went down a, a MST rabbit hole there. And kinda... But uh, we were going to do that. Yeah, that's anyway. true. <laughs> well, it's kind of important to do since we're, we are talking about Mystery Science Theater and we are talking about you know looking at more of their films, you know, unriffed. And so it, it, it does beg to kind of discuss what we liked and disliked about the show. I think it's just, yeah, it's a natural conversation to have when you're talking about it. Right. Uh, but I mean, it's because of our fascination and love for this show that we're willing to come back to these properties and take a look at them to see, are, are they worthy to be watched minus the uh, 
the track. And, and in this case, if we had to put a stamp on it, I'd actually say Unrift is probably better than yes, Rift. Yes, thank you. I feel the same way. I think this one is actually better without the Mystery Science Theater. Now, had they done this movie three or four seasons later, I might be a little more 50-50. I think I would still enjoy this as the 50s monster movie, but I would probably also really enjoy it as the Mystery Science Theater. As it stands now, I can skip this one on MST. Right, uh, yeah, and I usually do. In fact, uh, uh, you were kind enough to post both of them to our, our vid serve so that we could watch this, and... <laughs> Uh, I admit, I tried to even start off the Mystery Science Theater, and I couldn't. I couldn't get through it. Uh, it was they they weren't seasoned enough yet. Uh, they didn't have Kevin Murphy yet, and the movie was so much better. Uh, not to mention, kudos to you for finding the Trollenberg uh, Terror in such a beautiful copy. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was a lucky strike. <laughs> yeah, because the uh, the the. The version that they watched for Mystery Science Theater was total garbage. <laughs> so it was dark and it was all messed up. And yeah, no, so you found a very beautiful copy of this thing. Very clean. Yeah, well, I'm glad you enjoyed this one. I, I have to admit, going into some of these that I know I've watched Unrift that I actually kind of appreciate or I think I'm going to appreciate. I was a little nervous having someone else watch them for the same reason. <laughs> like, oh, this- <laughs> fingers crossed uh but i'm i'm glad you enjoyed this one and you feel pretty much feel the same way i do Mm -hmm. uh and to your point though i think it'd be fun because uh um the guys have moved that moved over to rift tracks to do it so so mike kevin and bill Mm -hmm. um they have re some of rift tracks has redone movies that they did during mystery science theater I think it'd be fun to watch them do this one. Maybe. Um, As a riff track. I run kind of hot and cold on riff tracks, much the same way I do in, like, latter MSTs. My favorite episodes of Mystery Science Theater are ones where they are making jokes and they are making cracks, but very few of them are actually directed at the film. They're not really making fun of of the movie they're having fun with the movie towards the end of the mystery science theater when they went over to like sci-fi channel maybe in some of the latter uh comedy central days they really started directing their their barbs at the film and making fun of the movie and of the filmmakers and that sort of thing and that really kind of turns me off on it I, I just I like it when they have jokes and they make cracks and they make them a little relevant maybe to the time. Mm-hmm. That makes me laugh. And I think a lot of the riff tracks I feel are a little bit more mean spirited. I could see that maybe for some mm-hmm. of it. Um, Bill Corbett can be a little uh, harsh yeah. on, on on some of them where. Um, Mike and Kevin have a tendency to be a little more with the uh, with the film, but uh, uh, I think I'll give you a, a good example. There was a riff tracks, and again, and, and I think it was a Bill Corbett line, but there was uh, somebody you know staying in a hotel, and someone 
attacks him or something. There's a fight scene in the hotel, and Bill Corbett just throws out. It's like every time I stay at a Motel Six, you know, or something. He just says something like that. Like that's funny, you know, that yeah. works for me. But when they sit there and point out constantly flaws, or they you know sit there and just bash effectively the people making the movie. I'm like, oh, come on, that's just being cruel. <laughs> I don't mind the occasional uh, boom mic. <laughs> <You know? laughs> just, just. Well, see, I'm always drawn to. Uh, I, I hear you, and, and, and yes, uh, I, I love it when they make uh, the the weird uh, pop culture reference, or even the more. Sometimes they make intellectual references that I almost feel like I got to go look up what that the hell that <laughs> right. was. Um, I want to know why I'm laughing at that. <laughs> but uh, um, but then every now and then you get that like cave dwellers uh, <laughs> where there's just so much wrong with it that they just lose their mind uh, going after the filmmakers because someone's been a four wheeler. Right. <laughs> So there, it, I, I I get your point, but eh, there's a few things where uh, sometimes the film had it coming. <laughs> well, before we move on, I did uh, I mentioned it earlier that I, you know I posted something about this on Facebook, and we did get a couple comments from a couple of our Facebook group members on the Crawling Eye, uh, not on Mystery Science Theater. Jumping back into the Crawling Eye slash the Trollenberg Terror. Chris Mounts wrote that it is an underrated British horror for sure. I've been on a British horror kick this month, and I need to move this to the top of the queue, which he did. He actually went and got, I saw that he went and watched it and uh, and thanked me for uh, kind of giving the, the kick in the pants for him to move it up so he could uh, he'd watch it. So I guess it was a rewatch because yeah. he really does. He actually enjoys this. I mentioned Steve Sullivan on uh, his full comment. He says, I really liked this film a lot. I think it's got an interesting plot and a well shot and put together. I even like the eye monsters. I'd be interested in seeing, or is it just hearing, the British original it was based on. While the Crawling Eye is a good U.S. cell tile, I like the original Trollenberg Terror better, as it doesn't give away the game in the title. And I did clarify that, yes, it was indeed a television serial. Uh, although I could actually see this working as like a radio program. Oh yeah, no, that could be the, the theater of the mind. This story would work really well. Oh yeah, I, to, to let you uh, to come up with a really eerie description of the the creatures and let your head fill in the rest. That I, I could see a lot of fun. Yeah, it'd be that. really good. Chris Mouse does follow up with better title, Trollenberg or Crawling Eye, and yeah, I think everyone's agreed that Trollenberg actually I think works better. Yeah, I jumped in there right away. I'm like, yeah, it just sets it up more as a suspense thriller kind of mm-hmm. thing than a than a, a straight up B monster. Right. Movie. Yeah, it's like like uh, Steve said, it doesn't give the game away. Now, interestingly, I actually managed to find a uh, a review for this. That's movie amazing. That dates, That's awesome. Dates back to December 31st, 1957. Okay. Uh, it's it was actually a part of Variety, and it, there is no credit for this. It was just listed as Variety staff, uh, without going through the the full thing. And the, uh, the clearly, uh, uh, as we were discussing off uh, off uh, recording, um, 
reviews from the 1950s read a whole lot different than they do now. <laughs> so they are very much to the point. So uh, it starts off with basically a breakdown of what the movie's about. But uh, the, uh, the follow-up is uh, that the taught screenplay extracts the most from the situation and is helped by strong, resourceful acting from a solid cast. Tucker tackles the problem with commendable lack of histrionics, and Monroe adds considerably to the uh, film's interest with an excellent portrayal of the girl whose mental telepathy threatens the creature's activities and draws her into danger. So, I mean, uh, this this review clearly likes the film and, and was very impressed by the uh, the acting of the cast given given what concise story they had to tell that's interesting and you said that was dated 57 so that actually had to have been like a like a, a critic screening sort of thing maybe yep interesting and to get that kind of that good of a, I was not expecting that good of a review that's impressive I like it no I was impressed to find it <laughs> I'm like, holy crap, there's an actual review from 1957 on here. That's awesome. It's nice to see that the, um, that the, now granted, let, let, let's put ourselves in 1957. The amount of films that are coming out, there's not a lot. <laughs> oh, I would think just the opposite. Really? Oh, yeah. I imagine, well, depend what you consider good films. But yeah, not that many. Right. But I bet you there was a lot of movies coming out in 1957 because you know the 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 the, 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 the large and small studios would just pump them out as fast as they could. I, I'm just speaking out of turn, anyway, so I haven't put any uh, background into that. I just can't imagine there being that many that critics actually get a hold of to write anything about. But maybe they do. Uh, but I wasn't expecting to find this review, let alone to see it so clear, concise, and, and positive. Yeah, I'm very impressed to see it rated, or re- excuse me, reviewed as highly as it was. And it's a fun film, and I'm really, I've had fun just because you liked it. I think that's fantastic. I know I have a tendency to lean more toward the modern, so I, I think you always hesitate when introducing the the older fare to me, but uh, I, I have an appreciation for all of it, and I was pleasantly surprised that this was not... I was expecting a B-movie, um, and, and I was okay with that. I was expecting a, a, a rubber monster movie, and that's fine. Um, but I was stunned to see that that there was a, some significant quality to this. That was awesome. I think we've said all we're going to say about the Charlenberg Terror, a.k.a. the Crawling Eye, uh... MST or not. <laughs> I think you're going to have to make the choice for our next episode because I've kind of picked the last two. So it's a little lopsided. So I think it's definitely going to fall. The ball is going to fall in your court for next time. Damn it. I'm on the spot and I don't know. So all right. No determined. problem. I, yeah. No, I, I, I didn't know if you might have just had something in the back of your mind you wanted to push forward or. Uh, yeah. But I will let you look at the potential films uh, whether you want to do mm-hmm. another mst unrift or if you want to look at a, another tv movie that is your choice entirely could be both <laughs> it could, it could <laughs> it's be true both. we could blend the two 
I, I've recently rewatched the episode Angel's Revenge, which was oh both. Oh my goodness. And I have watched that unriffed already once. I'm just calling it, we're doing Angel's Revenge. If that's what you want to watch, then I think we'll, that's what we'll watch. I'm trying to remember I where. I have never seen that unriffed. I have to now. All right. I have to remember where I saw that. That might be on Prime. We'll have to dig I it up. I will dig it up. I will find out. Uh, there you go, audience. Angel's Revenge. Yeah, well, let's see. I think that was under many different titles. Uh, the Seven, Angel's Revenge. Um, there's a bunch of titles under that one. But you'll know what we're talking about. If you've watched <laughs> Mystery Science Theater, you know Angel's Revenge. All right, well, that's going to do it for this episode. Tom, thanks very much for joining me, and thanks for watching the film. I am glad you liked it. Oh, yeah, no, it was great. Thank you. So we will see everybody in a couple weeks. Oh, I wanted to mention before I left away, um, if you're not a Facebook, if you don't care for Facebook or Twitter, I started a Discord server that if you want to come and join and uh, start up and, or join any convert, well, there, you can't join any conversations because there's literally two people on the server right now, and that's myself and Matt. <laughs> I guess I better get on there. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're not a Twitter or Facebook user and you and you would like to, uh, some sort of uh, social interaction with the show, that is where you can find us. There'll be a link to it at the bottom of the show notes. So yes, that's all I wanted to mention. Uh, that will do it. I guess we'll talk to everybody in a couple of weeks. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you.